Ah, sweet land of liberty. Our founding fathers not only pledged, but gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honor to obtain our God-given liberty. Now it's our turn. Liberty can only thrive if it's alive in the hearts of a freedom-loving people. I'm Dan Matthews, and I'm pleased to welcome you to Freedom's Ring. Here's our host and constitutional lawyer and minister, Alan Reinock. Welcome back to Freedom's Ring. My guest today, Matt Staber, is the founder and chairman of Liberty Council, and we've got two hot topics to talk about today, the scheduled topic being the administration's efforts to combat the persecution of Christians in various nations, which is a, a huge concern for religious freedom. But Matt, first of all, welcome back to Freedom's Ring. Thank you. It's good to be back. And, uh, you know, we're going to press time, uh, as we say, because, you know, pre-recording our shows, the Supreme Court just agreed to hear a case that's a very significant case. Why don't you take a minute to tell us about this? Yeah, this is a case that comes out of California, and there were four cases at the U.S. Supreme Court there at the same time. So all of them will be affected by the outcome of this case, and the Supreme Court decided to take one of them. It comes out of California, where the California legislature passed a law requiring crisis pregnancy centers to post a conspicuous notice at the entrance, in the lobby, on printed material, and online regarding low-cost options for abortion. So here's a crisis pregnancy center. Their mission that drives them from the moment that they wake up until the time they go to sleep is to save lives, to save the lives of the unborn innocent children, to protect women from making a grave mistake to destroy the life of their unborn child. That's their mission. And California said, so for now you can continue that mission, but you've got to refer information to people, willing or not, about abortion. I mean, it's just absolutely reprehensible. It'd be like going into an NAACP office, for example, and requiring them to give information about where they can find white supremacist organizations. It's even worse than that, because here we're dealing with the issue of life and death. Here they're in the business in the ministry of saving lives, and California is requiring them to give information about how you can go to low-cost options to destroy the very life that they're trying to save. So Supreme Court got involved in this case. They're going to be looking at the question of whether this violates the First Amendment right to free speech under the First Amendment. Clearly, I think it does. This is government-coerced speech at its worst. You know, I like your illustration there about, you know, going into the NAACP and getting information on uh, how to contact the white supremacists. I was thinking more along the lines of going into the synagogue and finding out, you know, where to get proselytized to believe in Jesus, or going into church and uh, getting directions to the nearest mosque or something. But uh, Yeah, or going I, to a church and then saying, but, you know, there's a, a Satanist uh, group down the road, or you can find this particular Satanist group or this atheist group. You know, it's the same ridiculous kind of extrapolation in any of these things. When you have a specific mission and message, as these crisis pregnancy centers do, to save lives, you can't allow the government to come in and force you to ultimately change that direction and use a subsequent message. In fact, you know, there's a lot of things going on, of course, with the Pledge of Allegiance. So, you know, with the NFL football players, some people say they have a First Amendment right. Well, they don't. That's in the private sector. Right. But if the government tries to force you to make a message, then that's when the Constitution comes into play. And there's two different Supreme Court cases dealing with the Pledge of Allegiance within the public school system. 
The first one came out with Jehovah's Witnesses who did not want the Pledge of Allegiance, not because they're not patriotic, but because they felt that that would be pledging allegiance to an idol or a flag, and they didn't want to pledge allegiance to anything like that. So when the classroom begins at the day and the students rise, the Jehovah's Witnesses did not want to pledge. The first Supreme Court case said you had to pledge, that you didn't have a First Amendment free speech right to avoid being forced to say a message by the government that you don't want to endorse. Well, what happened? Three years later is all it took to reverse. And what happened in the meantime? When the government sided with forced speech against your views, particularly in this case, religious views, kingdom halls were torched. Some Jehovah's Witnesses were arrested for their, quote, safety and security, close quote. And then three years later, ashamed by their wrong decision, and another case went to the Supreme Court, you're right, they came down on the right side. The government cannot force you to endorse a message that you disagree with. So in that case, you can't protest, but you don't have to pledge. Therefore, you have a right to not speak. I think it's the same thing here. You have a right to speak. You also have a right not to speak, and the government can't force you to give a death message when your mission and message is actually a life message. So I'm curious here, before we move on to the persecution topic, how did the lower courts come out? I would think that the secular courts would have bent over backwards to try to accommodate uh, the California legislature, did they? Well, that's exactly what happened here. The four cases all went through the same Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, and the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals said it's okay. The government can force you to give a pro-abortion message when you're pro-life and your mission and message is pro-life. But, you know, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals is the most reversed Circuit Court of Appeals by the U.S. Supreme Court in the country by far. Another interesting thing that when these cases were pending before the Supreme Court, just before they decided to take these cases, a state court trial judge in California with the same exact issue issued a nice decision saying that this violates the First Amendment right to free speech and enjoined the law. So that set up a classic conflict between the federal court and the lower state court just in time for the Supreme Court to review and make a decision to take this case. Very, very interesting. Well, it does seem as though between this case and Jack Phillips' case with the you know, the masterpiece bake shop case out of Colorado, that the Supreme Court has an opportunity to really shape respect for individual conscience rights, and hopefully for the better, because if they go against the rights of conscience, then individual conscience is really going to be on the decline in this country. There's no question. I mean, you've got these major cases, whether it's the LGBT issue colliding with free speech and free exercise of religion in the Baker case, or in this case, free speech and forced abortion speech. If the court goes the wrong way, less than a year from now, we're going to see some major cataclysmic consequences against the right of conscience. If the court goes the right way, that will be great. But, uh, you know, this is the Supreme Court, and these kinds of cases, particularly the one with regards to the Baker and the LGBT First Amendment collision, could be a 5-4 decision. We just don't know which way the 5 is going and the 4 is going. That's true. major case to keep in prayer. And that's just what I was going to say. Please, please, listeners, be praying for the court to protect the rights of conscience. 
So what? Uh, let's switch here. Uh, what has the administration been doing differently here with respect to the problem? I know the State Department reported in the last year or so that Christians are subject to persecution in 60, six zero countries. That's it's a lot. It's a big problem. What's the administration doing differently now, Matt? A big change from what we saw during the past uh, eight years with President Obama and the past uh, years even before that. Vice President Mike Pence announced a new policy that the administration will ultimately provide resources to persecuted Christians and organizations that help them. In the past, what we've done is we've dumped money into the United Nations. We've dumped millions and millions of dollars into the U.N., thinking that they would ultimately help persecuted Christians and religious minorities, but they have not. So now what we're going to do, the Trump administration has promised to bypass the United Nations and give the same funds directly to and through the United States Agency for International Development, and from there to organizations that are on the ground to help persecuted Christians and religious minorities against the genocide that they're facing around the world, particularly in the Middle East, but elsewhere as well. And so, you know, if you look at the United Nations, look at even some of the refugee issues, and you wonder why very few Christians are part of the, say, for example, Syrian refugees. Well, there's a couple of reasons. One, because the UN refugee camps are not safe for Christians or religious minorities. If they went to those camps, they ultimately would be persecuted, and many of them would lose their lives in the refugee camp. So that's why they're not going there. And number two, we have in the past delegated some of the ideas of who's the refugee from our own sovereign nation of the United States to the United Nations. And the United Nations is oftentimes controlled by Muslim-dominated countries. So naturally, those people will give preference to the Muslims coming from these areas of the station rather than persecuted Christians or even religious minorities. So that's why you don't see very many of them. And these persecuted Christians have just been, and religious minorities, Yazidis and others, they've just been out there. They're getting help from organizations that are on the ground, but not in the way that they should have been. Now we're actually going after these terrorists in a more aggressive way. And we need to provide the resources. These people, even if you were to stop the persecution in their area, say, for example, in the Middle East, even if you were to push back ISIS, these people have lost everything. They've lost their houses. They've lost their jobs. They've lost their income. They've lost their families. There are children who have seen their parents killed, beheaded, boiled in oil. I mean, it's unbelievable. And vice versa, parents in the same way. So they need food, they need water, they need shelter, they need other resources as well, but they are not getting the kind of resources they should have gotten through the United States because we've dumped the money into the UN and the UN has squandered it and certainly not used it in the way it should be. So President Trump said no more. We're bypassing the UN. We're going to put the money in our own organization. That organization will then review the organizations on the ground, the charities that are really helping making a difference. And we're going to help those charities on the ground. I'm very pleased with this because we have a ministry called Liberty Relief International. It's a project ministry of Liberty Council. And for several years, we've been helping to work with these organizations that are on the ground, making a difference to provide not only humanitarian relief, but also spiritual help and counseling that these people so desperately need. 
Well, I think to blame the United Nations is a little bit narrow, of course. The refugee crisis and the, and the persecution of Christians is an outgrowth of the destabilization in countries like Iraq. And no question. There's, yeah, uh, no question. There's certainly been a tremendous amount of ethnic cleansing in Iraq where the historic Christian community there has been absolutely decimated and it's it's really questionable whether it will ever recover to any you know any degree to what it was prior to all of the wars there there's no question i mean it's not the united nations fault that that has happened but what the problem is is having seen this devastation and persecution and the united states has given millions and millions of dollars to the united nations to provide humanitarian relief to give some humanitarian comfort and aid and yet that money doesn't reach the intended sources to provide aid because it's being diverted or not used or squandered or who knows what's doing, what is happening. So now what the Trump administration is doing is saying we're going to control the actual distribution of these resources so that they do go to organizations that actually are helping sure. um, clean up the mess and provide humanitarian relief to the persecuted Christians. Well, listen, Matt, in the minute we have left, you know, on the other hand, the administration is also reducing the number of refugees that will be admitted into the United States. Is that going to reduce the opportunity for Christian refugees and religious minorities who really need to to get out of there? Um, well, that's a longer question, but I think in, in part one of the things I think that the Trump administration is wanting to do is bring some parity to the kinds of refugees that are coming in because Christians and religious minorities, but particularly Christians, were on the short end of the stick. Very, very few were coming through as opportunities to even become refugees, and I think that is going to change under this administration. That's number one. And number two, I think at the end of the day, these people don't want to be displaced from their nation. They actually want to have security and comfort in their nation. And I think there's going to be more effort to help stabilize them in their homeland, which is where most of these people want to be. It's like you and I, we don't want to be displaced. We would like to have peace and security here. i got to cut you off. We're out of time. I really appreciate Matt Staber, founder and director of Liberty Council, with us today on Freedom's Ring. Thank you very much. Thanks. Good to be with you.